namo tatsa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhatsa namo tatsa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhatsa namo tatsa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhatsa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tavara, ye Zoravanta Bamundantu Satang. So the, these past three days of developing this awareness, um, the posture, the breath, the sound of silence the uh, sensations in the body. This is uh, bringing attention to the way it is in terms of experience in the present. And it's uh, it, it is not making anything personal. These are common to all of us, isn't it? The, the uh, posture, the breath, the silence, sound of silence, and then the uh, no- noticing the the sensations, body sweeping. But all this does bring us into a state of, of a kind of of uh, collectedness, leading to compose, collect the mind to stop it from wandering, and to uh, change the direction from just the uh, thinking uh, according to habits and and operating from the assumptions that we have about ourselves and the world. So in, then in our Vipassana meditation, uh, what we will be doing is, is investigating conditioned phenomena with the three characteristics. So you have the three characteristics of all conditioned phenomena, which is anicca, dukkha, anatta, or impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and uh, non-self. Now these are three characteristics that uh, are common to everything, most from the subtle to the coarse. Uh, so it's, it's a way of, of examining experience uh, in which you're, you're not, you're not uh, uh, they getting caught up in in, in the multiplicity of it, and the different varieties and qualities and quantities and and that uh, of conditioned phenomena, which are endless, but it's um, it's like they say trying to count the sand gra- grains in the Ganges River. You know, you just impossible to do to just endlessly go through conditioned phenomena. Um, each one, each possibility, each potential. So we, all we need to know is the, is the characteristics of all conditioned phenomena that they share in common, the characteristics of what all conditions have in common, whether it be a universal system, a macrocosm, or a microcosm, or a thought, or an emotion. It can include everything from being sane, crazy, good, bad, uh, heaven, or, or hellish, or whatever. Whatever, it's it's impermanent. All that which begins ends. The pattern, then, of course, is in like in the breath, the arising, ceasing. That's the that's the pattern of all conditioned phenomena begins, it rises, reaches peak, and then ceases. So I- even in the uh, reflection on the, on the breath of the body, we're, we're now looking at the, the pattern of it, of arising, ceasing. And we can extrapolate from that in terms of, of uh, the subtleties of, uh, of mental conditions or the coarseness of physical ones. We're not we're not concerned about the quality anymore, about whether it's refined or coarse, right or wrong, good or bad, but the characteristics. 
Now what this does, if you really do it, is it it gives you it it allows you to have the insight into the uh, futility of trying to find uh, a permanent happiness or any or, or really putting any interest or investing very much in conditioned phenomena, because you, what the result of good uh, vipassana practice is what we call uh, nipita, which is a Pali word for kind of world weariness. It's not depression, like, and, and it's not it's not from the ego, like I'm the life has disappointed me, so I don't care about life or the world anymore. It's not from that. That's just selfish uh, indulgence and 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 the ego operating. But nibbida is a is a is a is a spiritual realization, seeing that that all the the world that we live in, the body or the the um, the conditioning of the mind and the thoughts, emotions, these are conditioned after we're born. And that we, we're not born with language abilities or memories, thoughts. So we get we get conditioned um, with uh, with all that after we're born, but we're born well, we have a body, we have consciousness, we have sensation, and then we acquire this uh, cultural, social conditioning after we're born, according to the family, parents, ethnic background that we're born into. The illusion of the world uh, is, uh, is it the idea of, of finding happiness in it, um, or that that if we get everything we want, that we will be happy, or the the kind of Western fairy tale of live happily ever after. The prince meets the princess, and they live happily ever after. That's been shot down. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We've lived through the marriage of Charles and Diana. I remember the when they got married. That is kind of the fairy tale marriage. And I mean, all of us knew basically that it wasn't a fairy tale. But but yet there is that longing, isn't it, in in all of us, to a kind of romantic longing, a kind of uh, wanting their life to be perfect and ideal and seek uh, and find fulfillment in finding the right person or or everything uh, you know the right form of government the right social system the right economic system but now we, we're kind of at a stage in our development here in in Europe Western Europe especially, I think we can become very cynical uh, and just uh, speak, you know, just put it all down in, in a, in a, through criticisms and negativity. Because we see that, that you know, with the collapse of the communist system and, and, the, and even with uh, a country like this where you've got stable government, democratic government, still life is un- basically unsatisfactory for all of us. And that none of us are finding great liberation and enlightenment from living in England with a you know fairly good economy and and political system, social system, or finding the right person. Now we have, you know you're free to choose who you want. You don't have parents don't arrange marriages, and so you can you can anyone you fancy you can you can have. If they'll have you, and it's still you know more divorce than uh, you know people even bo- don't bother to get married anymore. <laughs> but this is not not a cynical put down, but also it's it's pointing to 
that the, the state that we're in is basically his nature is unsatisfactory. And it, it's not, that doesn't mean uh, uh, that there's anything wrong with it. It's just noticing that, that the, ba- the nature of all conditioned phenomena is unsatisfactory. Like all that you see or hear, smell, taste, touch, think. It's all in the process of changing. There's no, there's no kind of possibility of finding uh, anything truly satisfying, truly trustworthy, uh, permanent uh, in the impermanent, that which is basically impermanent and not self and unsatisfactory. So this this chant of Anicca Dukkanata is is uh, say a Buddhist way of reflecting and examining experience. The Buddhist teachings are teachings that 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 if used properly, you know, used in the right way, then they then they do uh, they. They help us to see very clearly the way it is. For example, is the, the idea that, that not understanding things, not using wisdom and not understanding things as they really are, then we endlessly create suffering in our lives. And so the, this suffering is the result of ignorance. The, and this doesn't mean... Uh, old age, sickness, death as, as, a, as experience, but it's the suffering that we create by not understanding this process that is suffering. We are, as the, like we've been examining experience in the present, just the experience of consciousness and of uh, sensation. You know, the, the, the way that the, uh, the this is a very sensitive form. It's always uh, and very vulnerable form. It's always, in some way, being irritated and agitated by uh, the things that keep pressing onto it, impinging on the onto the senses, onto the body. So basically, we're born into a realm of of irritation, agitation. It's, uh, and so it's, it's not satisfying to us. And so we become cynical when we've expected to be satisfied and fulfilled and, and haven't been. And then, because we've never examined life, we've never really looked very deeply into it. Maybe we bought the fairy tale. Maybe we, we become cynical bec- when we found out that the Santa Claus didn't really exist. <laughs> Start young these days. Or that the prince and princess get married and they don't live happily ever after. And then the princess gets uh, gets squashed like a fly. And a hideous death. And so this is you know, this isn't part of the fairy tale. But it is a reflection on the on the way things are, the unsatisfactoriness of condition phenomena is 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 to be no we're we're not you're not to believe this, but to examine, to look into, examine this pattern of impermanence. And so to to be able to Contemplate impermanence. We need this level of awareness, where uh, of of uh, sati mindfulness, in which we can uh, have perspective on the expi- on the conditions that we're experiencing in the present. For example, just our, our able to our, our our thinking ability. Thought moves very quickly, doesn't it? So we think, and then it goes through. Uh, you know, as far as that condition, it's it has a very, it's very fast. Emotion, though, when it get kind of lingers and hangs around it. If you if you get angry, I mean that that feeling of anger has a kind of in 
inertia to it. It kind of lingers and hangs, and then the thoughts tend to, to you know, if you're not mindful, then you, you just say and think and act from that angry feeling. But as you're developing awareness and mindfulness, you can detach from the emotion of anger. You can observe it uh, as, as something that has arisen, and you can observe its presence, and then as you uh, uh, sustain your awareness on the, on the emotion of anger, you're aware of its cessation when it ceases. So this awareness is what we call the path to the deathless. Uh, uh, there's a book of mine called uh, Mindfulness Path to the Deathless. <laughs> and this, this title was taken from uh, a verse in the Dhammapada, uh, which goes, Appamado Amatabhatang. Appamado is the Pali word for heedfulness, heeding paying attention and to be heedful and to be here and to know what's happening be aware is the way is the path to the deathless appamado amatta amatta is deathless padang is, is path or way so I mean this is the, the recognize that, the, that all religions are you know, they're paths to the deathless. The, the religious conventions are all pointing at deathlessness or immortality or um, and this we, we describe in words like liberation or salvation or enlightenment. But when you get to to the essence of any any proper religion, any any real religion, then its function is to point to the deathless reality. And so Buddhism is, when people sometimes say Buddhism isn't a religion, it's not true. It's very much a religion. Also, um, when I when I start my evening talks, I chant Namo Tassa, homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened. Then I have a two-line Pali verse, Aparuta De Sangamatasa Taura. This this is the gates to the deathless are open. No. So this is this to me is a very significant statement, announcement. The gates to the deathless are open. So what we're we're noticing that I mean this is a statement and a kind of an announcement the Buddha made. It's, they're open. So there are there is the deathless. The gates are open. So the deathless isn't anicca or dukkha. And that the deathless isn't isn't unsatisfactory and it's not uh, impermanent. But so it ha- but it is anatta. <laughs> There's no self in the deathless. So this deathless then is to be realized, and so this realization is what we're doing with vipassana by by breaking down all the illusions we've formed, all the habits we've formed around the, the death-bound conditions. Like our, the, the, we have the five khandas, the body, the, the way, which is uh, rupa, is, is the Pali word for the body, vedana for feeling, sanya for perception, sankhara for mental formations, vinyana for consciousness. So these five aggregates, five groups, is a convenient way, is a skillful means the Buddha used in order to get perspective on all conditioned phenomena. Because 
you can you can put everything that you experience through sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and thought, all emotion, all mental, all physical, far away or near, imagined or or uh, solid earth or whatever, into these five aggregates. So five is a number easy to see, isn't it? Uh, you have five fingers. So five is, is easy to remember. When you get into more than five, it gets a little more difficult. Um, getting people to to recite the ten paramitas or the 227 rules of the Padimoka. Or the, and that takes a lot of effort. But most of us, unless we're, you know, mentally retarded, can manage five. <laughs> so you can, it's like, like, like everything can be, be put into these five groups. Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana. So Rupa is, is form, is, uh, is, is, is the, the material world. And they say, rupa is anicca, dukkha, anatta. Now, not to, not to, this isn't a position we're taking, but we're examining. You know, obviously, this this body was born, and it's in in a changing state. As you're really aware of the body, like this, with this body sweeping, isn't it? After an hour of that, you can really feel it, kind of, the tingling, vibrating. Uh, uh, quality of your own body. It doesn't look so solid and kind of fixed as you, you tend to perceive it and, and assume that it's a kind of really solid lump that you can call yours, yours. But as you examine it more closely and, and see it for what it really is, it's a, it's a very kind of vibrating, changing, uh, forever changing uh, condition in the present, this this human body. But if we don't examine, then we can just operate from the assumption that it's a solid lump. That's me. This lump is me for a lifetime. <coughs> That's what generally people assume, isn't it? The lump that there's their body is uh, the body is more permanent than emotion, isn't it? Or thought, feeling. You know, it does seem more me than, I mean, feelings, they kind of, you know, they kind of change and shift and emotions and thought and thought goes by so quickly. So mental phenomena is, you know, just, just so kind of, it doesn't have much uh, seeming solidity to it, where the body does have an appearance of being a rather solid lump that we can depend on. But it is not much of a refuge, is it? <laughs> There's always something going wrong with it, and uh, you know it's not it's not a satisfactory condition, is it? Do you find your body satisfactory? <laughs> so. <laughs> So I'm not complaining. I have a fairly, fairly uh, good constitution that, that has uh, lasted through 15 years in the tropics and 20 years in England. <laughs> Living on alms food, you know, you don't know what you're, you're not sure what you're going to get. And, and so forth, so I managed to survive, and so I'm not complaining, I'm really, you know, I'm very grateful to this <laughs> condition, but uh, it's certainly not, I'm not going to put, uh, take it as a refuge, because it is, you know, getting pretty old now, and it's not going to last too much longer. There's a refuge, it's not, uh, it's not, not something I'm going to uh, believe in. Or, or just the, the, the 
the sense experience that we we have the vedana of life the pleasure pain and neutral experiences through the senses when you when you examine vedana or sense sensitivity you know it's, it's forever changing you can't really kind of fix it into anything that lasts very long so so Vedana, like pleasure, pain, and, and and neutral sensation, is is very much a Nietzsche, and we and it's quite obvious. It's impermanent. When you when you try to uh, take refuge in happiness, what what success have you ever had in the experience of happiness? You know, and, and it's you know, and happiness is where we always have to go look for it because. The happiness doesn't last very long, and then it's over. And then we have to go look for some more. The, the, the Americans, we have the right to happiness. <laughs> <laughs> so we do look. We do spend a lot of time trying to find happiness. But in the process, it it you know it is disappointing, and 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 uh, even though because this realm is not. Happiness is a part of the experience of it, but it's not its true nature. It's not a happy realm. Mm-hmm. Not like a, like being a devada. When you get reborn as a devada in a celestial realm, then that's happy. But this realm of human human state is not a happy realm. There's happiness we experience it, but it's not. Its nature isn't isn't really happy. The body is not. Uh, is so much. Uh, it's there's so much pain, so much uh, irritation, agitation on on a physical body. Don't you wish you had an ethereal body, like one of those David dogs, a kind of beautiful ethereal body? You know that didn't uh, have livers and intestines and all that. It's uh, kind of made out of out of ether and, and light and things like that. Would be, I mean, we could find more happiness through an ethereal body. Physical body isn't. It's it, it's quite heavy. It's coarse. Uh, it's it, uh, it's gross, and it uh, and it gets old and it gets diseases and it has pain. And that's part of its its nature. So. Happiness isn't something that we can depend on as a refuge in this in the human realm. Suffering is very much the common experience. This is because of the the nature, the the, the conditions that we're sharing at this time. In the human body, being conscious, hum, uh, in, uh, having a human body on a planet, in the universe. So this. This uh, means that, that, like I've said before, this continuous kind of irritation, agitation on the senses is is the dukkha, the suffering. We also, we have retentive memory. We have language, and uh, when we can retain, we can remember things of the past. So we, we because of that, then we can reflect also. But also we can attach to memory. So we we get a very attached to memories, and we we can uh, remember the bad things done to us in the past, and and make ourselves very angry and and indignant <laughs> and and uh, resentful. A lot of people, a lot of us suffer a lot of resentment over the injustices that we've experienced in our lives. The unfairness of life, the mistreatment, the misunderstandings, the abuse that we've all that we can remember. We, we remember. We have this retentive memory. So it can be a curse, isn't it, to to have to have to remember uh, all this, or we can remember, you know, the good old days. We we can remember the happy times. But then, because we do remember, then we and we we experience life in the present. 
then the future becomes very important to us. What's going to happen in the future? Because we know it's unknown. Future is, you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but you can imagine from your experience so far that it could be, uh, hopefully it'll be meeting the right person and living happily ever after. Or you'll become wealthy and, and you'll have good health and you'll, you'll be uh, famous and prosperous and you will um, get everything you want. That's one possibility. Uh, and maybe, you know, that you, with all the modern uh, um, experiments with hormones and whatnot, and you'll be able to sustain useful, uh, useful appearance for 100, 200 years, possibility. <laughs> uh, doesn't appeal to me at all. <laughs> I like getting old. I can't get old fast enough. <laughs> the idea of having to stay young for 200 years Nightmare. But the, um, this, the future then is what we don't know, so we, we worry about it. So we create mental states in the present. I wonder what's going to happen to me in the future. We, we, get, we have anxiety about what might happen. Uh, we we can hope that we'll, everything will go well. Everything, you know, we're optimistic. We think, hope that everything is going to just be wonderful. And then, uh, or, but we also, at the same time we might hope everything will go well, we also dread, have a, a kind of dreading feeling in the present. The future, you know, is going to be pretty heavy. And uh, who knows, you know, what horrible things we're going to have to face. So hope, and then there's dread, and then there's expecting, anticipating, longing uh, about the future, and worrying about it. So these are the mental states we create out of ignorance about the future. Now even if we have everything in the present, we can still be utterly miserable and sick with worry about the future, because we might lose it all. As one friend of mine in Italy once told me, he said, he said, uh, Tomato, he said, now I have everything. I said, I have a beautiful wife, a child, I have a good job, uh, marriage is wonderful, we love our daughter, I uh, love my work, I meditate, have a nice house, got everything. I've never been so happy in my life. He says, but I worry. Because <laughs> I know I, I'm going to lose it. It's going to change. I can't sustain. I can't sustain it. You know, something's going to happen. So even when, even at the peak of of that, well, that was quite insightful of this man to to recognize. Even when he, you know, he's at the kind of peak where everything is just the way he wants it. But he knows that it is unsatisfactory. It's going to, it's changing, and you can't fix it. You can't petrify it into into a peak state that will stay for very long, and and in the same way. So contemplating anicca, impermanence, is is uh, is a way to uh, developing wisdom. That the future is, in terms of the present, the unknown. Right now, say, the future for all of us, we can speculate, there's probabilities of all kinds of things, likelihood, but what we can actually know right now about the future is we don't know. So that's, 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 that's direct knowing. Knowing the future is the unknown. Knowing past experience is just memory in the present. <coughs> remembering yesterday, remembering last year, 
And that's just memory that arises and ceases in the present. So memory is impermanent. It's a, it, it comes, it's always in the present, and then it comes up, and, and then it, then it ceases. So the past is nothing more in terms of experience, is, is a memory in the present. The future, in terms of experience in the present, is the uh, emotions we create around anticipating, speculating, maybe, could be, possibly, uh, this or that might happen in the future. So, so we spend a lot of time in these states of speculating or, or worrying about uh, the future. What's going to happen to me uh, when I get really old? And things like that. What are we, Ajahn Birdamunai, are now, you know, equipping Amravati with ambulatory ramps. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're anticipating, you know, old age, and we have to, you know, I have to kind of zoom around in motorized wheelchairs. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we are. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it might as well uh, do the best you can while you have the opportunity. But it's the unknown in terms of experience right now, isn't it? It's, it's uncertain. The sense of a self uh, as you, the, the way to really investigate self-view is with the sound of silence. Is as you, because if, if you develop that reflection on the sound of silence, concentrating into that, then you have a very reflective mind. You can, because there is a state of pure awareness there in which you can observe the sense of, of yourself, the sense of me, I am, and me and mine what I think, my life, what I've done in my life. Uh, all this, this, uh, uh, these, the, the sense of a self is conditioned. It's through language, it's through memory. So the self is something that arises and ceases in the present. And so there's this awareness of self then as we, we were breaking down the illusions that uh, that we have about self, because if we if we just operate from the cultural conditioning, then I am, you know, I am a, this person. I was born. I have a, a birth certificate. I have a passport. I, I'm a, a man. I'm a male. I'm American, British monk. I'm Ajahn Sumedho. I'm. These are kind of fixed assumptions that we make about ourselves. Uh, in which we suffer because if you know because we're always identifying so strongly with what we look like or or our national origin or our educational qualifications or our whatever these are very strong identities in which we we get very conceited and arrogant or we can be very offended or hurt we can be uh, feel very uh, misunderstood we're subject to various biases from other groups, prejudices from other groups, like racial, racial, ethnic prejudices. We we really suffer from these if we're identified with with these five aggregates as ourselves. And there's always something that that can offend me as a person. You know, somebody talks to me too much, I can get offended. Somebody doesn't talk to me, I can be offended. I can be offended very easily as a person. So, and so being a person, being a personality, being uh, uh, identified with, with the five aggregates 
is, uh, you know, is, is really uh, um, the experience of suffering. Because that's not what one really is. And uh, therefore, we, we live, we, we create this illusion of self around our life in which we, we end up doing very abusive things to each other, very cruel, very unkind, very thoughtless, insensitive reactions we have to each other through this ignorance. And you wonder what, like what happened in Bosnia over the past two years, or just the, the kind of ethnic cleansing, things like that. Ethnic cleansing, where you can go and just murder a whole ethnic group with a sense of you're doing the right thing. Mind-boggling, isn't it? Murder is a is a righteous act. Then getting rid of these these group this group because they're different from yours. That's happening all the time in Rwanda, isn't it? Or in in uh, in Israel, or in uh, even Cambodia, or, or place like this. Just in our lifetime, in Germany and in, in Europe during the Second World War. This uh, endless murders and wars based on uh, ethnic biases, opinions about race. There's a lot of suffering around being male and female. Identity with being male or female. About being young or old and so it's endless. Just the the suffering we create around these these uh, conditions. As we hear in in England, for example, in Britain, we so much suffering around just political views or or uh, resentments or worrying about being joining being part of Europe or whatever. And there's we can we manage to endlessly kind of proliferate. On the on potential suffering if we do this or don't do that. There's no end to it, and there's no way out of it until we break the illusion, break through the illusion. So this this is one way of doing that, breaking through the illusion that you've acquired through the the, the cultural and social conditioning that you've that you've been stuck with through uh, through not understanding Dhamma. So now we're, we're educating ourselves, we're informing ourselves with wisdom uh, they, of the way things really are in terms of experience. So the personality or the sense of being a person, uh, an ego, uh, the sense of me and mine, is something that arises and ceases in the present. And it's not like being conscious and being aware with consciousness, we can actually observe this. At least I can observe the the feeling of self and ego and vanity and, and personality. It comes with thought, with memory with emotion, the conditioning of the mind. I wasn't born a person, a personality. So I have memories and, and, uh, and uh, emotional habits that uh, I can observe as anicca, dukkha, anatta. The ability to observe then is not self, and that mindfulness is not self. When you're in that state of pure awareness, you're not a you're not a, a person anymore. It's a universal intelligence you're using. It's a it's not personal kind of ability. So mindfulness, say, is door to the deathless. Or when we when we're paying attention in the present, then that is where. That, that, that is the entrance, that is the 
path to the deathless. Because in that state of pure awareness, pure attention, it's not it's not cultural. It's before you become a person, or a or a man, or a woman, or a or a uh, an American, or a, or a Brit, or anything like that. Just just know right now when you're just at that state of pure attention, you can hear the ringing silence, the state of just listening, attentiveness in the present. There's nobody. There's no. There's no sense of a self. I mean, the, in that in itself, it's quite pure. It, it's intelligent. It's not. It's not like you're in a torporous state. You're not hypnotized in a trance or anything like that. So, apamado, heedfulness, paying attention in the present. There is the where we realize the deathless. And because of that, then we can really observe the death-bound condition, because the body is a death-bound condition. When you're attached <coughs> to your body as yourself, where's it taking you? To the funeral pyre. To the grave. When you're attached to your, yourself as a personality, with your accomplishments, your achievements as a worldly person, where's it taking you? To death. You're going to lose it all when you die, isn't it? You're all your, your PhD from Oxford, what good is that on the deathbed? All your money that you spent your whole life uh, hoarding up, Swindling everyone out of. <laughs> what good is that? Uh, you, you know, because you're going to lose it. We have this reflection: all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise. Will become separated from me. Everything is, you know, the, the, the. Uh, if you get Alzheimer's disease, even before you die, you can forget who you are and who your wife or husband is, and mother and father. So your memory, you, know, you might you might have a you know a brilliant intellect when you're young, and, and it all goes. Reading the biography of uh, the the former president of India, Radhakrishnan, President Radhakrishnan, who's brilliant. Uh, intellect, a philosopher, who wrote books on philosophy. And in the last seven years of his life, he lost all his intelligence. He <laughs> was just like with Alzheimer's, everything just couldn't remember anything. So that is, you know, all that, that putting so much emphasis on what I've learned and, and worldly attainments is, uh, you know, is, is definitely putting your, your uh, clutching to death, to something changing, unstable and impermanent, when you, when you examine it. When you really uh, investigate experience. Now, what to me is uh, is uh, the beauty of this kind of practice is it does uh, you you are it's like realizing the deathless before death, and that and realization is some is uh, is like awakening to reality. It's not not something. Like you don't realize, uh, 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 like something that you don't. It's not that you don't have that the the deathless isn't. You've got to find it and get it. You don't have it yet. Is you don't realize it. What is what is what uh, what is reality for most of you? Your thoughts, your feelings, your body, your your family, your pers- your possessions, that's, we say, the real world. 
Whereas the real world, you know, having a house, the real world, having a job, having a family, the real world. That's the real world for most people. Are the the conditions that they experience that they're attached to? Well, that real world is very unstable and 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 changing and impermanent, unsatisfactory. So, reality then, they is to realize Dhamma, to realize the deathless, is to awaken. So this awakened state is what we're using, paying attention in the present. So the second verse of that, of Aparuta, the gates to the deathless are open, is Ye Sodavanta Bamunjantu Satang. Sodavanta is the Pali word for someone who pays attention, listens. Now this sense of listening, you know, like paying attention, listening is where your your mind is in the, in this attentive state right now. You're not say you're not you know if you're not paying attention, then you you're kind of going through your own. Scenarios and and uh, you know planning um, your future or regretting your past. But when you're in the state of pure attention, listening, it's like listening. So that they, they and they, this is why this sotavanta bamunjantu satang is those who listen, those who pay attention to life. The Sotavanta, uh, trust in this. Trust in your ability to pay attention to life. Uh, trust in it. Re- kind of relax into this trust. Don't worry about the future. Don't make problems about the things you've done in the past. Don't, don't uh, endlessly try to, to uh, hold on or. Uh, control or manipulate uh, the conditioned realm around you. Don't d- don't wor- don't don't be anxious about the possibilities of failure or misery or loss in the future. Just pay attention in the present. It's, it's your refuge in this attentive listening in the present is where you is the only thing you can really trust. Because that will get you through all the rest, whatever happens to you in the future. You know, whether it's success or failure, praise or blame, whatever. It doesn't really matter because you, it's not, that's no longer what you are attached to. So even failure or, or, or being blamed or on that is no longer, isn't, isn't, an, obstruct, isn't an obstacle to enlightenment. Losing everything, sickness, uh, loss, failure, being blamed, uh, being despised. These are not obstructions to enlightenment. So, so it's, but what is an obstruction to enlightenment is heedlessness, not paying attention to life. There's no way you can realize the truth through heedlessness. Through, through just wallowing, getting caught up in the endless proliferations of your mind and, and believing all the worldly delusions, then there's no hope of enlightenment as long as you, as long as you do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't make money and... and uh, have a family in the land. I'm not, I'm not preaching again. But pointing too that, that these are, these are, these cannot be real refuges, satisfactory refuges for you. So this this kind of insight does allow you to participate in life 
you know, in a way that is uh, a benefit to yourself and to everyone else. To have awakened beings in a society. You know, just think how hopeless it would be if there was, if enlightenment was impossible and there were no awakened beings, no enlightened human beings in the world. All we'd do is just, it would be just endless wars, wouldn't it? Just, uh, endless struggling and kind of coming from our own conditioned patterns, our own arrogance, our cultural arrogance, our our fixed views, our blind beliefs. And how can you ever resolve any of that? If once you're kind of programmed, you're stuck uh, with, with that program. But the gates to the deathless are open. So this is a, this is a significant statement. So, to the gates of deathless are open for those who pay attention, those who listen, those who observe, who investigate, look into, experience in the present. So that's what we're doing on this retreat. He's trying to. But even if you, do, even you know, it sounds it's easy to understand, but. Just uh, say what I want to do is encourage you to do this, to develop this, because it's very something that is will benefit you through your whole life. It's something that that gives your life a quality uh, that no matter what happens to you or how long you live, it will serve you well. You understand. You learn from what you experience in life. You learn, even from sicknesses or loss, you learn from everything, from, from old age, from humiliation, from failure, the whole lot. None of it is, and these are, po- these are what we dread in, in terms of the future, isn't it? Of loss, humiliation, being uh, cast out, rejected, being poor and sick, old, nobody loves you, thrown out into the cold winter, like those old homeless men on a Charing Cross. Remember in Seattle when I was a child, when we we, we had to go into the city, uh, there are these trolley cars, and you sit on these trolley cars, and you go past where we lived, through a real kind of uh, seedy part of Seattle, and uh, there are these called these all these hotels they call flop houses, where these old tramps would live, the five cents a night, something like that. These kind of really kind of filthy-looking, slummy hotels and these old traps and winers lying about. I remember looking at that and thinking, oh, God, that could happen to me. Asking my mother, you know, what, 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 why, why are they like that? She said, well, they're men who failed. I'm not going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> but then... <laughs> And then, you know, that possibility, I could fail, you know. So I become an arms mendicant. <laughs> That's ironic, isn't it? Become an arms mendicant. But the, that is, uh, I mean, that, but th- then also we've seen in in uh, in just you know just we hear stories. I mean we we live quite a privileged life here in Britain, but hear stories you know about people in in Africa and that who've just lost everything. You know, in, like in Rwanda, been brutalized, or or men who have actually tortured and brutalized others 
That would be worse, wouldn't it? To, I, I'd rather be brutalized than brutalize somebody. Because you have to remember that. Knowing about memory. I mean, having to live with those memories would be a nightmare. I mean, I haven't done anything all that bad in this life, but I've done enough stupid things to know what it's like to remember them. <laughs> so, and that's bad enough. That's miserable. That's enough misery. And I mean, you know, murdered uh, and brutally cut up children and 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 uh, killed all kinds of people. I mean, that would be, uh, you know. Horrible! Have to spend the rest of your life remem- having those memories come up. But in terms of dhamma, then even if we have uh, done pretty horrible things in the past, we can resolve that through mindfulness. You see? So it's there is uh, we aren't just helpless victims of fate. And we we have this this way to develop to awaken to life. It's a simple simple ability to awaken and pay attention, listen, and look into. So these teachings, like Avinicca Dukkanata, in regards to conditioned phenomena, is is a helpful tool to get perspective on on every, on all the conditions that we because we. The conditions are as what we; the, these conditions are what we regard as the real world in the in this deluded society. So we're, we're now we're not condemning that, but we're seeing that that's not really the way it is. The real world is not the conditioned world. Conditioned world is is what it is. Conditions are what they are. So it's not it's not saying that it's not not. To, putting any kind of judgment against them. Pleasure is pleasure, beauty is beauty, uh, something is what it is. But it's no more than that. But if we don't know that, then we tend to create all kinds of attachments and fantasies and, and the whole world around the conditions. Uh, and and then and with the inevitable disappointment and loss. So the conditioned realm is seen in terms of the three characteristics. The unconditioned is realized more and more as you break down your fascination, your blind attachment to the conditioned realm. You, What's left after the conditioned cease is the unconditioned, which is what do we say, bhajatang, to be experienced individually, you have to realize that it's not something that, that you can, uh, it's not a thing. In other words, it's not something that you can say it's, it's that over there. Not a memory, not a, not a uh, perception, not a uh, condition. So, in terms of, of, of the Buddhist, Buddhist approach, was the, the Buddha pointed to the nature, the state of suffering, its causes, the cessation of suffering, and the way of non-suffering. So, this, this is, as we develop and, and understand Dhamma more and more, then we, we realize the way to live and participate in life in which we do not create suffering around the experiences or the karma that we have. Though we all have a karma, you know, we have to bear with our personal, our individual karma, which when it ripens, you know, the body gets old and and we get, it can get diseased or uh, various things happen to us 
uh, before we die. That's our karma. But whether we create suffering around it or not, we don't if if we realize the Dhamma. But if we don't realize the Dhamma, then we do create suffering around the karmic uh, inheritance that we experience. One good example is the story of Angulimala, who was a serial killer. He killed 999 people, and then he was, this is in the suttas, and he was going to kill the Lord Buddha as his one thousand. He had his this uh, necklace of fingers. So his victims, he cut off a finger of each victim. And so he had nine hundred ninety-nine fingers of necklace. It's a gory, gruesome thing to do, isn't it? Imagine what if somebody did that here in England. The tabloids would do with that. <laughs> <laughs> And then, as he was pursuing the Buddha, then to kill him and cut off his finger, the Buddha uh, was able to reach Angulimala, and Angulimala became enlightened. Even though he was a murderer, serial killer. And so, and, he, and Angulimala became a perfected one in our heart. But then his vipaka karma, his resultant karma, was that he had such a terrible reputation that wherever he went, people threw rocks at him. And uh, so he accepted that as his karma. (laughs) 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 I mean, that's what, you know, he didn't get angry or throw rocks back or feel sorry for himself. He just recognized that this is his, what we call vipaka, or his resultant, of having done those uh, murders in the in previously, then the result is that people fear, resent, hate, seek revenge. So we all, you know, in our own lives, uh, we will receive the results of our karma still. But whether how we we relate to that the result, that's we have a choice over whether we. We just we react in a foolish and uh, uh, ignorant way, or we respond to it with understanding, with wisdom. So that's enough for this evening. Um.